Hello, I'm Mariette Smeilman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is Mind Dynamics. Explore your brain in 3D. My guest is Dr. Melody de Jager, Developmental Specialist from Johannesburg. Welcome, Melody. I just love having you here. Thank you, Mariette. It's wonderful to have a conversation with you. It always is. Thank you. To our listeners, after our conversation, Melody is going to offer a simple exercise which you as the listener can do to determine your preferred sensory modality, whether you are more visual, auditory or kinesthetic. Then she'll give us three early morning booster tips and after that it will be fun question time. Melody, today we're talking about your neuroscience based program, Mind Dynamics. And I'm going to fire away with a quote about the brain from the Mind Dynamics website. Here's the quote. Your most unique resource is already inside your head. You own a unique, state-of-the-art, mega-power tool that took nine months to manufacture called the human brain. The model that you own is truly one of a kind. The only limitation is that you, most likely, don't have an operating manual to explain the construct of your brain and how to make full use of all its features. So just off the top of your head, can you tell us more about this unique mega power tool in our skull? Oh, Mariette, it is so funny. If you think if you buy a toaster, you get an instruction manual. For anything, there's an instruction manual. But we're not born with an instruction manual how to run or how to switch on, how to run, how to optimize this marvelous, marvelous gift that we get when we're born, and that is a brain. Well, it's not just a brain. Because remember, we're going to talk about the brain, but the brain can never, ever, ever, ever work in isolation. It always stands on two legs. It has to, because that's the way the nervous system works. And I'm sure we're going to unpack that a little bit later. Yes. Now, you talked about being born, and let's start at the beginning. How do human beings develop? Or to put it a little differently, how do we become who we are? Oh, that's been the the focus of so many scholars for so many centuries. Because isn't it amazing how how difficult it is to figure out who we are? It's I think it's the lack of an instruction manual. And maybe it would be wonderful if just be, between the baby and the placenta, a little instruction manual drops. Oh, you know, maybe it can be on the cloud or whatever. I've just given my age away by saying instruction manual. But, but just something for your parents to understand you and your needs. Because I'm sure the listeners will agree, you and your siblings, same gene pool, because that obviously has an influence on who we are. We don't just inherit the color of our eyes or the structure or the texture of, of our hair and skin. We, we inherit a lot more. Your gene pool has an influence on who you are. But, but then also, if your parents don't understand how, who you are or how to raise you specifically, um, 
there may be a dis- discord between your, your wiring, your brain wiring, because you must remember your grandparents and all your ancestors somehow also have a neurological influence on who you are. Okay, remember about um, dominant genes and recessive genes and all of that stuff? So sometimes there's no blue eyes in a family and then all of a sudden out pops a blue eye. It was a recessive gene. So our gene pool has a huge influence, but so does the, the parenting, the environment. It doesn't have to be your direct parents, but it's those important caregivers that shape your mind and that shape your your perception of yourself especially they talk about the first thousand days which is from conception to more or less the age of two but if you look at the charts about the up, optimal time that the brain grows the most it's in that time frame of the first thousand days but more specifically during conception the first nine months in utero hence your quote earlier on and then the first year of life. So what happens there has a massive influence. Birth, the moment of transition from being in utero to being in life, has a huge influence. Was it respectful? Were you respected in that moment? Or were you uh, a cock in a, in a machine? You understand? All those things have a tremendous influence. And so later in life, so that doesn't mean that we are a victim of, of our gene pool, or the genes that we inherited, or the environmental influence. Ah, there's many other things as well. But we start out with, or how should we call it, a thumbprint? Those things, your gene pool and the environmental influence of the primary caregiver specifically, has a huge influence on who you become. So one starts out with a foundation, you could call it. And is this development that follows, is that set in stone or is it dynamic? Thank God it's not set in stone. You know, that's the beauty of the human brain. Because very often people say, the brain works like a computer. Excuse me, which one was first? It's... It's the brain. The, bra- the computer is modeled on the brain, not the other way around. Come on. But, but you see, that's, that's like anything. When we have, we have a comparison or if we build a model, which is exactly what I've done with my dynamics profiling, there's limitations to anything. You see, Marie, it's endlessness. For years and years, for centuries, we've been trying to figure out who are we as human beings? Who am I specifically? Incomes purpose and all, all of those other wonderful things that we can talk about. But the beauty, and I think we must never ever forget it, and specifically now during this conversation, is nobody really knows. And in that nobody really knows, there's the gap. Viktor Frankl said between stimulus and response, there's a gap. And in this gap lies my freedom to choose. And what he said was incredibly important, because In this gap of nobody knows, and the gap between stimulus and response, in that gap lies our potential. Your question was, are you who you are, and is it set in stone? No, it's not. Because we as humans, well, animals got that as well, got something called neuroplasticity. That's a gift. It's a gift. 
You say, if this lot doesn't work for you, you just have to change it. You can update. You can delete. You, know, you can delete into a certain extent. But you can update. You can expand. You are not a victim of your gene pool. You are not a victim of your environmental influences. There's this marvelous third thing. There's lots more. But this third element is the one that I love, especially for us as adults, and that's your ability to choose. Because my international leadership colleague, Steve Duplessis, often says, you are where you are due to choices you've made or choices you failed to make. So our choices also influence who we become quite extensively because the repetition of the way you were brought up, you know, the parenting, the repetition and parenting style, the repetition and the messages you heard. Later on in life, the experiences you had and the feedback that you get from peers in preschool, primary school, you know, high school, through life, all of those things, the repetition shapes who you become. And then, obviously, what you say to yourself, because our, our feedback to ourselves may also compound. You see, there's a compounding effect based on feedback from others and the decisions you make as an adult. So if you decide you are useless at public speaking, you're right. You're right. You know, I had a conversation this week with somebody that, that um, she's a, a speaker at a conference and we're going to be speaking at the same conference. And um, I love to dovetail. I love it when, when talks dovetail, you know, people walk away and you enrich and it's not contradictory because then you don't have time to process. And we had a conversation about the value of faking it till you make it. And I immediately objected. I immediately objected. See, we are underestimating people's ability to see through fake. We underestimate it because I truly believe authenticity comes from within. And that authenticity is based on your gene pool, on your environmental influences and the feedback you get very strongly as an adult. And what, what is the narrative? What's the story that you tell yourself about yourself? But your question was, set in stone? Absolutely not. It can change. It can change. That's wonderful news. And I think it's one of the reasons why I get up every day. Well, if I remember to be excited about the new things one can discover. Absolutely. Marie, learning is a lifelong thing. It's the ability to adapt. Okay? So it's embedded in who we are. You know, it depends on how you look at life through which glasses and which perspective. If you come from a perspective that um, we were created, we didn't just happen. I mean, it, you know, and it depends on how you color in that process. Because it doesn't matter whether you're spiritual, whether you're religious, whether you none of the above. Somehow, you started. And that is such a creative process. But it never stops. We are constantly, constantly co-creating ourselves. But then you need to show up. Because if you don't show up, your past is actually defining who you are. You have to show up and say, do I agree? With this version of me. Oh no, I'm so much more. Yeah, and now we've got the motivation 
but one still needs some tools. And therefore, I'm going to ask you about the mind dynamics profiling that you develop. It's nothing, there's nothing new on this earth. So many, many clever people. It actually started with, with Broca in 17, I forgot the exact date now. But he was the first one to actually draw the link, well, according to what I've read. He was the first one to say the physical body and the physical brain plays a role in your behavior. I read a fascinating quote the other day where somebody said, um, the brain is the organ of behavior. Hell, it is so obvious. But it was the first time that I read, the brain is the organ of behavior. And it's so incredibly true. So Broca wrote about the importance of the left brain. Okay, and we can, we can argue whether it's quasi-science or not. You do have a left brain and you do have a right brain. So let's just accept it for this conversation. Because if you open the skull, that's what you're going to find. A left brain and a right. What do they do? Well, that we can talk about quite a bit. But so he started by defining the left brain. Because that's what he studied, the left brain. And he said whenever a person died and they had a problem with logic or they had a problem with language or whatever, when he did an autopsy, he found there were lesions in the left brain. Okay? And then he said there was this other part that was filling space. Because all the people, you see, he only did autopsies on people that lost their mind, their rational mind. Oh. Okay, so when a person's behavior got wacky, because we just typically, what happens, they were just the village idiot, or they just, they were just stupid, or, you know, they were just off, man. So he actually talked about the lesser, it was a, a space filler, so the left brain didn't shake around too much. So, so <laughs> after that, many people came with different perspectives. Ned Herman, that remarkable all before Ned Herman, Spurry Einstein and their mapping of the left and the right brain, and many neuroscience will tell you that was hogwash. Well, they got a Nobel Prize for hogwash. I'd like one. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that, that's, the thing with, that's the thing with learning with knowledge. Mm. It's not cast in stone. Mm. It's dynamic. It's constantly changing. And for that reason, I developed an instrument based on many other people's work. Okay? And, and I have to give credit to Dr. Carla Hannaford and Paul Dennison because they were the first that I read. I'm not saying they are the first. It's just the first that I read. That made the jump that took personality, this undefined thing-ma-ding, they said you need to look at the role of the physical body when it comes to the way you show up in the world. And they looked at, they looked at the information processing theory and they said there's input through your senses, there's a brain, and then there's output through your muscles. And there's no other way that we can show up than through senses. And for that, what was the killer? Um, Helen Keller. Helen Keller, her life spoke about the importance of sensory input and how isolated you are and how absolutely stupid you can, you can appear or come across if, you, if there's a lack of sensory input, okay? The brain is incredibly important. Everybody knows that. But then the muscles, because the only way you can show up is through movement. 
Because if there's no movement, you can't show up. Daniel Volpert says it beautifully. He says the only way we can show up without movement is through sweating. <laughs> it's, it's vile. It's a vile picture if you've just gone visual. <laughs> but it's true because everything else, everything else is movement. Breathing is movement. Eye contact is constant movement. Sitting up is constant movement. So we can go on. So, so I look at that model, Paul Dennison and Carla Hannaford's model, look at the, um, the role of the eyes and the ears, not discarding the other senses, but they're the only paired senses. The others are single. There's one skin, one nose, one mouth. So it's, it's singular senses. The, the eyes and the ears are the only paired senses. And nature shows us where two, one will lead. Will the, only, will the same one lead every time? No. That's why we're flexible. Okay? But if your gene pool and your primary upbringing overlaps, the people that influenced and that acted on your genetic inheritance would reinforce your genetic endowment. And that would create certain patterns of behavior. Repetition is the basis of um, neuroplasticity. So repetition and high-intensity experience. So when you're very vulnerable and you're very open to influence, um, you don't need many repetitions of certain experiences, positive and negative. To not forget it. Because it's like a, it, it just ingrues, it ingrains the experience. You don't need the repetition. It's there, positive and negative. Um, neutral doesn't do that, by the way. Intensity of experience. The other one is repetition over time. Repetition over time. So the model is based on, on their work, but they only looked at the left and the right side of the brain. And it burned me because I don't have a flat brain. Mm -hmm. We have a three-dimensional brain. And it was unbelievable to look at the word Ned Herman internationally, and then in South Africa, Kubitz Nietlin, who for years have spoken about the rational top part of the brain and the limbic bottom part of the brain with his four quadrant, which has subsequently um, um, revolved as well. But he started out with the... That was Kubitz Nietlin. Kubitz Nietlin and Ned Herman. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so they brought in this idea of the limbic system, which is the emotional part of the brain. Oh, okay. So you've got two parts to the brain, the limbic, the emotional part of the brain, and the rational part of the brain. So that immediately gave me the other two dimensions of the brain. That are, okay, but what's the third? And when you look at the, at the structure of the human brain, there's a back brain and there's a front brain. And there's a very strong dividing line between the back and the front part of the brain. And it depends on your genetic... Uh, Am I going to say this again? Your genetic inheritance and your upbringing, whether you spend more time, whether you play, whether you show up, more behind, well, behind the participatory midline, because that line, it's the fold of Ronaldo, that separates the back and the front part of the physical brain. If, you, if the back part of your brain gets more stimulated, you tend to be a greater introvert. Not because you are an introvert, but the back part of the brain is quiet. It's the part of the brain that loves sensory input. It's the observing part of the brain. It's the give it to me, give it to me, give it to me brain. You know, it's gather, 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 gather. It's wonderful for a researcher. It's wonderful for a therapist. Because they don't, they don't step forward. They invite. Okay? But when it comes to confidence, 
And when it comes to a corporate environment, it's not that handy. If your wiring to the back part of your brain is so strong that it's very difficult to cross that participatory midline between the back and the front part of the brain and show up in the front part of the brain. Here's the front part of the brain is the expressive part of the brain. The front part of the brain um, is, is responsible for, for physical movement. Speech is physical movement. All the verbal and the non-verbal parts to, to communication is activated in the front part of the brain. So if your genetic endowment and your, your primary caregivers stimulate that expressive part of the brain and you were not raised in, it's better to be seen than heard mm -hmm. kind of an environment, what would that approach in a parent, what would it foster? Be quiet. So you develop strong repetition through time. You, re you develop stronger um, neural connections to the quiet part of the brain. And then when you need to represent yourself during an interview or during a meeting or when there's a disagreement or when there's just lively debate, and you said Afrikaans said it by a moment, your mind full tana. So if, if, if um, you just can't open your mouth at that stage, you, you know what you want to say, but it's as though that part of your brain has just geared down. It's because the front part of the brain isn't myelinated enough for you to show up in that part. Marie, but there's something else. If, um, if the front part of the brain is is seriously strongly stimulated. That means in a young child, they very often come across as precocious. Um, you know, it's those chatty ones. Sometimes you wish they would just be quiet for a little bit. You understand? But they're the ones that will, if a teacher asks a question, their hand will be up. If there's an estate for down the stage, you know, they show up and people take note. And what, do, what happens when people take note? They get positive feedback. So what's reinforced? The front part of the brain. And you see, that's what I love about this process and this instrument. There's not a right. There's not a good. There's not a perfect. There is. So the front, as wonderful as it is, if my front brain wasn't firing at an incredible rate at the moment, we couldn't have this conversation. But what has just happened in our in interaction now, you have gone to the back part of the brain to allow me to go to the front part of the brain. So sometimes when people get stuck, because we can get stuck, we can get stuck in the back, we can get stuck in the front, we can get stuck at the bottom, which is the emotional part of the brain, and then we don't show up in a very rational way. We can ignore, with great difficulty, but you can ignore the emotional part of the brain. Your body doesn't, but your mind can. It can override it. And you can be very rational, well, what's happening? You know that beautiful image of the duck in the water with the feet paddling at the bottom? At the top, it's so serene, but at the bottom, mm -hmm. we can't, we can only put a manhole, um, you know, the lid of a manhole? I often think of the emotional part of the brain as a manhole. Not pretty picture, but, but we can use our rational ability, we can use our cognition to put a very heavy lid on our emotions. Oh, they don't go away. They're waiting. They're waiting for us. So somebody can get stuck in the emotions. And then it's very difficult to get beyond whatever it is that you're feeling at the moment. And that's the purpose of therapists. That's the purpose of coaches. 
It's to take you out of your emotions. But can you hear? Some people are naturally, due to environmental influence, genetic influence, and uh, constant feedback, they tend to develop such strong wiring to the emotions. Have they got a rational brain? Absolutely. Do they access it as often as? Can you hear? It's not mutually exclusive. It's just where, where does information spend most of its time? While it's flowing, because flow, we talk about flow so often, we need to establish internal flow before we can ever consider external flow, flowing with the environment, flowing with life. Information must flow from a source, through your senses, to the different layers and parts of your brain, the bottom brain, the top brain, which is the rational part of the brain, to the left or to the right. And in the left and the right, where does it go? To the back or to the front? That has a huge influence on how you show up, how you experience life, how you make sense, because life is, doesn't have its own internal meaning, says the philosophers. Um, it's, we give meaning, but your ability to give meaning to experiences, your ability to give meaning to life, in general, your ability to give meaning to loss. I mean, we've experienced so many losses lately. And trauma, your ability to give meaning, is strongly tied in to the way that your brain has been wired over time. And then we only in the brain, it still has to flow on to your muscles. So, which muscles are used in a repetitive way? Do you speak often? Because the more you speak, the easier it becomes. Do you use your left or your right hand? When you step forward, do you use your left or your right foot? It's repetition over time. We don't pay attention to this. And that's why there's a beautiful term that's been coined quite a while ago, um, embodied cognition. And I think that's where the mind dynamics profile is a handy, it's a handy tool. Because if you, if you continue to think of personality, cognition, learning, it, it's, it's functions of the brain. It is. But it's actually determined by the predominant wiring of your brain, of your preferred senses, that we'll speak about a bit later again, and the muscles that you tend to use more often. Because neuroplasticity says, repetition over time, myelinated pathways, that's when the omegas create a fatty sheath around um, your nerve networks, then it becomes a habit. And that's where Victor Frankl's between stimulus and response, there's a gap. Victor, you're right. But that's where conscious and unconscious behavior or motivators or experiences come in as well. Because things are myelinated. They're myelinated. But sometimes a myelinated pathway, the information runs so quickly through our habitual pathways in our brain and body that it's very difficult to find the gap between stimulus and response. Because if a pathway is myelinated, you don't think about the response. It has already happened. And that's the basis for all behavior. And that is the basis for skills, competencies. They all have a neurological base. And that's where the mind dynamics profile comes in. Mm. You said somewhere that the profile is not a psychometric instrument, but it's a functional physiological instrument. Yeah. And I think you've just proved that. 
Yeah, I um, I'm hesitant when we use the word prove because um, prove somehow in my mind creates something solid. Okay. If you don't mind, yes, of course. Can not. we can we maybe say that this conversation is showing that mm. that this instrument is based on your physical body, your physical physiology, as you said it so beautifully. Right now. If we look at the mind dynamics profile, um, how does one get it done, and then what what do you get from it? There are many ways. You see, from the age of six onwards, uh, let me just go back a step. From from conception onwards, the purpose of your very early years is to to develop in totality. This is vitally important, Mariet. Um. Increasingly, people want to determine at a younger age, what is my child's area of speciality, so we can really mine it. I think we need to be very careful when we do that. You mean like musical um, talent or something? Yeah, like yeah. So, so they really want to mine it. I'm not saying explo- exploiting, but mining it, um, because the child can go so much further. From my perspective, um, it is way better to develop the child in totality during the time frame when the brain is the most malleable, moldable, because then that child has nerve connections to every part of the brain and not just to the music and music and math very often go together. So, you know, specialization is wonderful, but um, Malloy said a very interesting thing. He said it's no longer about survival of the fittest. We've transitioned. It's about the survival of the fitter. Not, I'm fitter than you, I can do more. Can you see, I don't even have an example. (laughs) Run the commerce faster than you, do more sit-ups. No, 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 no. The one that can adjust, that can adapt. You understand? And and before the age of six is the perfect time to set a child up with wiring that they can specialize then onwards. So from a mind dynamics perspective, we never do a profile before the age of six because the earlier you know but it's very easy to determine the most myelinated pathways based on wink which eye do you consistently close that's not the dominant one because the brain's saying keep my eye open i want to receive information through that eye yeah if you answer a phone yes it it may have something to do with handedness but most often, we tend to put the phone against the ear that is most myelinated, the highway. Myelinated pathways means highways. There's no stop and starts. It's quick. It's quick access. Okay? So, so from the age of beyond six, we look at which eye is dominant, which ear is dominant. Because those are the two senses that feed our performance in class and in life the most. Obviously, the other senses are incredibly important, but this is about dominance, not domineering, not overpowering, preferred. Okay, so which eye is your preferred eye, left or right? Which ear is your preferred ear, left or right? Oh, between your eyes and your ears and your hands, because feeling, touch, well, a sculptor is definitely seeing and hearing, but their sensory input is more through their hands. So then we also look at which is your preferred sense? Is it visual, auditory, or is it kinesthetic? 
Okay, let me look at in your brain. Where does the information pause the most? Is it in the bottom part of the brain, which is emotional? Or does it rush through the emotions to hit the rational part of your brain? Okay, and then when it gets to the top, top left or top right? And if it's top left, is it front or back? If it's top right, is it front or back? Because information, it has these highways. And if you can determine that in a child, it makes learning so much easier. It makes parenting so much easier. Because you understand how information is flowing through this child's brain. And then we look, it's very simple. Bordering on the simplistic, but it's not. Because then we follow we follow signs. And you look at output, which is through muscles. Our model makes provision for which hand is dominant, left or right. Which foot is dominant, left or right. Because the hand dominance, well, each hand is controlled by the opposite side of the brain. Do you understand? The senses plug into the brain. The brain does its thing. And then the brain plugs into different muscles. How you show up. And just the beauty is, we can all show up in every way. But we don't. Because repetition creates a higher level of competence and skill, obviously. And that shapes you. It shapes who you are. It shapes how you show up. It shapes at where you find your joy. Because joy is normally found where the pathways are the strongest. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Because it flows. You know, Mariette, when, when somebody is really good at something, they don't think about being good at something. If you're good at public speaking, if you're good at writing, if you're good at identifying mistakes if you're very critical and analytical it's not negative if it's all you have yes it may you know we don't want to get stuck the problem with personality the problem with with profile the problem with the human being is getting stuck in one part of the brain and wanting to control the rest of the world to fit that part of the brain so you can so you can be in you can be in the in group you understand? Where it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. So joy is a natural consequence of, of ease. When the body, embodied cognition, when the body supports a process, it's so easy. It's so easy. And when it's easy, we tend to get positive, positive feedback. And when you get positive feedback, it reinforces the easiness. So what happens? You do more of that. Why? Because success is guaranteed. Obviously, there's a whole different negative to this whole process. If the way you grew up and your mind, your, your physical body, the interplay between the senses, the brain, the muscles, have developed all the critical and analytical pathways, and there are loads, they should be, because that enables you to, to uphold standards and quality. It's a skill. But if it's all you have, you're never going to be good enough in your own eyes. Nobody else is ever going to be good enough in your eyes. It shrinks life. It shrinks life. And our Mind Dynamics profile offers a person a, a unique perspective on what do you have? You have it all. 
And we call that the integrated profile. And then there's where are your dominant bits? And we call that your experts or your expert profile. So that's what you do without thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens when you stress? And, and if you can, in your mind, see the three profiles, and we move from top to bottom. So th that integrated profile, you've got both eyes are working. And you can shift from one to the other. Both ears are working. And depending on the in, um, situation, you can shift either to music appreciation or listening for fake news, using your critical analysis and your, your auditory processing that will support that. If you look at the second profile, that second, your expert profile, is less because it's only the dominant parts. It's where the two, one will lead. It's either left eye, right eye. It's either left ear or right ear. It's either the bottom or the top part of the brain. It's either left or right. And then depends on the distribution of your dominant parts, what happens when you're stressed. Some people say fully functional. As a matter of fact, and these are the ER people, you know, these people that are, they are amazing under tremendous pressure. They can't have much switching off because if they did, they won't be able to do their job. You understand? So, so that's a gift. But you know what? In every profile, there's gifts and there's red lights. How do they ever switch off? Mm. But, but Maria, do you get it? There are three profiles and we've got it all. Then we specialize in our expert profile. And then we've got a stress profile. And for many, many people, you, you, become, you constantly become less, 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 less. But the beauty is the moment you, you understand the profile, your profile, and that thing is fluid. I'm sure we're going to say a little bit more about that at a later stage. But what is so incredibly important is we often use the profile to reflect. It's not who you are. It doesn't determine who you're going to be. Well, if you don't make a couple of choices, change a couple of things, and that means literally on a neurological level, change the way information is going to flow through your body, um, that's when behavior is perpetuated. You know, that's when poor behavior, positive obviously as well, but that's when people find it so difficult to overcome, to overcome their past or past behaviors, or, and they feel, but I'm so, I'm so less than. No, you're not. No, you're not. Your profile can help you to reflect why in that moment did you act the way you did? What happened, neurophysiologically speaking? Many therapists and coaches use our instrument as a guilt shift. It helps people to, ah, but that's why I couldn't speak. Because the part of your brain that supports speech in that moment wasn't showing up. And therefore you couldn't. It's not you. Yeah, what a relief. Absolutely. Because you, you really can't argue with neurophysiological information. No, no. And the Mind Dynamics profile broke the mold of you are either a monkey or a dolphin or these diff very many different um, models of who you are. No, you it all, but you've specialized. And if your specialization, if this is limiting in a relationship or in your job. You just need to be aware of it.
and then you use physical movement to rewire the brain within the context of a goal. You obviously need to know what you want to change. But how do you change behavior if you're not aware of it? Because sometimes somebody who's very hardwired for speaking and for assertiveness and for confidence, which is actually just the front part of the brain being very dominant, they may not know, but they're actually very overpowering and intimidating. And those very same characteristics can be a negative. You understand? So these, there is no good profile. They're all good. They're all wonderful, but they're not all wonderful for the same skill set or for the same situation. So what I'm hearing is that we are wired in a certain way and the profile can help us discover how. Yes. And then we must look at what we learn from the profile and compare it to, say, our intimate relationship or our work work environment or whatever and we will understand why we act in certain ways we do and then we can decide but this thing I want to change. Absolutely. Marita, the thing is we are actually not the same person in all circumstances. Well, maturity means that you don't have one, one part of the brain that's governing your life. Because that's limiting. Think of your brain as a gearbox. I do apologize for my very basic (laughs) 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 examples, but I just think we we overcomplicate things sometimes. And the moment you can think of your embodied cognition, you can think of your brain and its supporting senses and muscles in terms of a gearbox. You can change gears. If you've ever had a car with a broken gearbox, with only a first (laughs) gear, it's a wonderful pull away, but it drives you insane. And I mean, you can only do so much with that. Um, It would be awful to be stuck in reverse. But you know that there are people who neurophysiologically are stuck in the reverse and therefore they're stuck in the past. It's good to reflect on the past. It's marvelous to reflect on the future. And to dream, you actually don't reflect. You dream about the future, but it's the absolute best to be in the here and the now, because it's the only thing we've got. Now, before we come to the way we change our, our wiring, can you please talk a little more about what happens when we are under stress? The highways, the most myelinated parts, um, stay effective. They never gear down, ever. Okay, so whatever you've done the most, whatever your parents or primary caregivers reinforced the most, whatever through life experiences you've reinforced the most, all of those those experiences hardwire specific pathways in our brain and our body. And when we stressed, We only have those ancient, extremely ingrained and ingrooved pathways available that always results in limiting behavior. Remember, the brain is the organ of behavior. Your behavior is not who you are, just who you're showing up. But your behavior 
is completely and utterly dependent on the way information filters, flows from your senses to your brain, to your muscles. Can one say you will go on autopilot, but you will lose, for instance, the function of, to a certain extent, of your non-dominant parts? Absolutely. You sound like a pro. <laughs> I read your book, Melody. <laughs> well, you obviously read it with, with um, comprehension. Yes, we'll still talk about the book, where, where all this is captured with lovely sketches, I must admit. Wonderful. Yeah, you actually nailed it. So the moment we stressed, everything that's non-dominant gears down. Okay, it's there, but it's idling. It's not engaged. But one can strengthen your non-dominant Yes. Yes, Marie, there's two things. On the one hand, my approach and our approach at the Mindfulness Institute and the Mind Dynamics Institute. The Mindfulness Institute is where we work with children. Mind Dynamics is where we work with adults. So our approach there is always in terms of um, find your strengths. Find those strengths, unearth them. Look at the parts that's not that strong, so you're aware of them, and you know how to change it should you need to change that. Okay? Find your strengths. Go choose subjects. Go find a career where your ancient myelinated pathways is, is a requirement. Be in your new groove. Okay? I mean, if you, you've got the artistic eye, and if you are an extrovert, and if movement, you know, action, is your thing, I wouldn't become an accountant. Yeah. It's agony, it's suffering. Mm. And what does the Dalai Lama says? Buddhism and neuroscience, and I believe the Mind Dynamics instrument, are out to reduce suffering. Why must people suffer? Mm. But you have to be aware. You have to be aware before you can maybe make different choices and suffer less. Well, I've just realized that if, if someone is pushing you into a career that you feel won't fit you, then you can have your profile done. Absolutely. And then you can have evidence that that option may come with a lot of money, a lot of status or a lot of whatever a lot of. But is it a fit? Okay, so the one thing is, it's important to find your fit, okay? Not to be defined by your fit, but find your fit. Because we spend so much time at work, if we just think of work, and for children in school, you need to find your fit. And if there's no, you know, if you can't move out of that job, you can't be redeployed, okay? Or maybe you're in a position where you've lost your job. How How do I choose where to go? Well, in the current situation, I think people take any job just to, just to come by. But if you want to thrive, find your fit. And the profile is really handy to find the fit. And the profile is always done within the relationship with a profiler, somebody that obviously we've trained. But the other part to that, so find your fit is the one on the one hand. On the other hand, it's so you can't shift, you can't move. You're in the classroom. Your eyes switch off when you're under stressed. Bad news. They have to come back on. How are you going to perform in class? How are you going to write an exam? If you're an adult and you're in innately more reserved, more of an observer, superb researcher, gatherer of information, you have a mind. A gold mine, a platinum mine, a diamond mine, uranium, all of those in the back of your mind, you've got all of those. 
And, and if your job requirement is for you to lead, what do you do then? Because very often people who have stronger wiring to the back part of the brain lose out on promotion, lose out on opportunities because they're not recognized, because they're quiet, they're more reserved. You understand? So they lose out. So, so what do you do? So if you're a child and you can't fit or you don't fit, the rigidity of an old-fashioned educational system, or you're in a work, you're in a job, where you don't quite fit, but it is paying the bills. That's when we use targeted movements. And it's not thought out. This is very simple. I simply looked at what happens when a baby grows up in the time when the, wire, the brain is wired the most, and I noticed the baby uh, moves consistently, they move all the time. And we always say you have to be hyperactive to not be hyper hyperactive later. You have to be hyperactive at some stage of your life. Because hyperactively, a lot of movement wires the brain and the body. So in a baby, we looked at when a baby moves in a specific way, especially their milestones, what, what skill surfaces soon after that? Because something has to shift in the brain before behavior can change. Okay? So obviously, if you listen to what I'm saying, I am strongly back-brain dominant. I'm an observer. I'm a researcher. Yes, I'm babbling at the moment because I'm excited about alleviating suffering, unnecessary suffering in people. And so, so I looked at the baby's movement, looked at which skills show up after a certain kind of movement was made repetitively, and then we turned it into things called mind moves because they move the mind. What's the mind? The mind is a thing that the brain does. Okay? So mind moves means, do I need to change my eye dominance? Because maybe my proofreading gift is a bit of a killjoy in a relationship. Because if I only focus on what is wrong, nothing that that person does passes the proofread standard. You understand? Mm. Oh, there's movements that you can use to change, to also stimulate, create another highway to the other eye. So you've got gears in your eyes and you can shift. When do I need to be critical and analytical? Switch on right. When do I need to be appreciative, forgiving and yielding? Switch on left. Obviously creative as well. And so we can go right through the whole body and the whole profile and give you practical examples. But now you must tell those who've never heard about mind moves what they are, and I mean what they practically are. It's really very, very simple physical movement, mimicking baby movements. So for instance, if a person is very strongly, they're very vigil, but they can't listen. It's not they can't, they've got ears. <laughs> Done a hearing test, nothing wrong with those ears. But they're not used because the brain prefers, the brain is economical in its use of energy. Want to say it differently? The brain is lazy. It always goes for the road of the least resistance. So the pathway of the least resistance will always be victorious. And if in a person's brain, their vision ability is exceptionally strong, Hey, man, the brain says, oh, no, there's a bush, you know, survivor. I have to survive it through this bush to get to the ears. Let's rather just look. Mm. 
Mm. Okay. So mm. it's not that the person was lying in bed thinking, today I am not going to listen. No. Mm. Their body's default is to see and not to listen. And then you put your fingers behind your ears, you use your thumbs in front, and I'll give you some links that people can go and literally see this, and you massage your earlobes. It's not rocket science. It's neuroscience. You massage your ears with the earlobe, the pinna, where it attaches to the head of the, um, the skull at the, the top. You massage the earlobes from top to bottom. So you flatten the, the folds in your ears from top to bottom, and you do it at least three times. It has an immediate effect on your listening ability. So, for instance, as a mom, I'm a mom, I raised three children. I was a single parent, so um, <laughs> we were always under pressure. And I was a working parent. So when I wanted to give them some instruction or something that they had to remember, I would say, rub your ears, and we would all do it together. It's wonderful for a poor. It's not you do it, you know, mm, mm. we do it. As a family, we massage our ears from top to bottom and then you give them the instruction and the chances are greater that it would land. Yeah, I must say I rub my ears every day and if I don't, I feel sort of disorientated. Yeah. Marit, let's go to the opposite of that. So communication has an input, a receptive part, so that's where the ears come in, but it has an expressive part, which is normally with the mouth, but also the hands, because if the listeners could see this interview, they would see my hands are flapping the <laughs> entire time that we are communicating, because I use non-verbals to support my, remember I said, I'm more of a back brain dominant my tendency, my default, is to quiet, not to speech. So I have to work pretty hard to stay in the front part of my brain at the moment. And using my hands help me to stay in the front part of the brain. So it's logical if you think about it. So if I want to improve my language or my expressive ability, expressive language, what should I do? Do some exercise with your hands. Go play swing ball. Go cook, okay? But from a mindfulness perspective, stretch them. Stretch them. Put your hands together. Clasp your hands together. And then if you just, if you were to push your palms of your hands away from your body till your arms are straight, you'll feel there's quite a pull in the neck, shoulder, and arm area. And the harder it is for you to express yourself, the more discomfort you may experience it's very interesting mm. the moves that we need the most we avoid the most why we haven't got the wiring and that's why it's difficult to do so therefore we don't want to do no my darling <laughs> what you don't want to do in this instance is what your brain needs the most mm. so if you want to extend your expressive ability stretch those arms mm. stretch them upwards um, take your arms, move them behind your back, clasp your fingers, palms facing down and push down so you open up your shoulders. It's wonderful for, for posture that shows confidence and assertiveness. But most importantly, it opens up the pathways in the brain to expressive communication. So I must mention that the mind moves have, they have interesting names <laughs> and they have very specific functions. Mm. So I think 
those people who, whose highways are in the logical direction, they would love reading this because it's very clear. Could you give us one or two names of mind groups? Oh, there's the power on, which is affects the vagus nerve, which is highly, highly popular now as a theme, polyvagal theory and everything around that. So it's power on. It's literally what it is. Switch on your brain, man. And then whatever you do. And then there's the antenna adjuster. Now, antenna adjuster, well, it does what it says. If you adjust the antenna, can you remember those days when we still, somebody had to climb on the roof? Do all, well, maybe it still looks like that, I don't know. And they need to adjust the antenna for your TV to have decent reception. Well, the ears are the antenna to the brain. So we call them the antenna adjuster. Then we've got a mouse pad. What does that do? Can you remember those were the days when we had mouse pads? No, we just have mice. But but it still moves on something. Can you remember? As you move the, the mouse, the cursor on the screen would shift and open different files. It's the same with the eyes. So the mouse pad is the name of movements related to eye movements. Oh, there's wonderful therapy in terms of eye movement therapy. So when you move the mouse pad, um, encourages a person to move the eyes in, in all kinds of different directions, very specifically, in a very specific pattern. And that enables one to access all the different parts to the brain. So you're not just reliant on a specific file. And when we talk about the preferred sensory modality, the mouse pad ties in with extending your, your repertoire of skills beyond your preferred sensory modality. I want to mention, since I, I usually do my mind moves in the morning, uh, that it doesn't work up a sweat. <laughs> Mariette, if the listeners saw a photo of me, they will realize I don't go in for big exercise. You know, the ones that work up a sweat. No, it's subtle. Mm. You can do it in a classroom. Mm. You do it in your car. You can do it at your desk. Mm. You can do it anywhere, anytime. For example, at the moment, one of my colleagues is, is working with a golfer. It's phenomenal how he does certain mind moves between holes because he's realized that his visual part of the brain gears down when stressed. Remember that, that less than? Oh, yeah. So, so how do you judge distance? You know, how do you aim? So he knows what to do. I, I said to him, how do you do it on the golf course? He says, nobody pays attention. Nobody has made a comment. But what it has done and mm -hmm. for him... And that sense of self-management. Mm. You see, that's where the mind moves come in. The mind dynamics profile is a framework. It's a functional profile. It doesn't limit you. There's more than 128 vari variations. I mean, there's not 128 kinds of people. It's way beyond that. But that's just, it's just because there are 14 variables. If you do the math, it's 128 possible profiles. You can have unlimited number of profiles. But for that, you need the, the, um, the mind moves because they're targeted. I mean, they go hand in glove. The, the moves are designed, copied from the babies, and then designed specifically to bring about specific change in the brain. Yes, and listeners can get to this in two ways. 
Firstly, you've got your book, Mind Dynamics, Unlocking Authentic Personal Power. Yeah. And this is the book I've got. And it explains everything that we've been talking about in, in a way that you can take in slowly. I think we went through a lot of things today at quite a speed. And then it has pictures of the various mind moves. It says what the function of each is. And then you've also got combinations of mind yeah. moves, which you call gear changes. Yeah. Could you talk about one or two? Yeah. Say um, you're stressed. And um, your stress profile is so limiting. I mean, Marit, there are profiles that when you're really stressed, the input, sensory input and the motor output all gears down. So how do you get in? How can you be in a conversation? How can you do your job? You can't. You can't output. And then it looks like you're a procrastinator. No, you're not a procrastinator. You've just gone to such deep patterns in your brain that your behavioral options are limited. Okay, so one of the groupings of mind moves is in terms of confidence and resourcefulness. It's quite like that, but it's really for stress. It's a de-stressor. And if you think about it, so what are we going to do? Something to unlock the eyes, a move to unlock the eyes, something to unlock the ears, something to make sure that the bottom and the top part of the brain are working together, some move to make sure the left and the right side are equally balanced. Some move to make sure that you're quiet when it's necessary and you speak when it's, when it's necessary. When we look at the hands and the feet, it, it's incredibly logical. I love it when people say, it's so simple. I, I, I find that a huge compliment. Because if it's simple, it's user-friendly. You can use it to understand yourself and what is also very interesting. If you lack self-awareness, okay? That's why we're in a relationship with a therapist or a coach or somebody to heighten our self-awareness. Um, we also have a, an option where somebody else can validate your profile. So they can tell you, somebody that you select, they can do a profile on you. And then we compare the two to how do you feel, how do you experience yourself, and how do you come across as seen through this person's eyes. Please do not hear, this is how you come across. It's mm. to this specific, but mm. the conversations, it opens up in relationships, in intimate relationships. It's marvelous. Mm. So we've got the book and then, of course, you've got the Mind Dynamics Accredited Practitioners. Can you tell us how it works if you get someone to do your profile in that way? So for an adult, you go onto the Mind Dynamics website. They are accredited practitioners. You select which one you think the chemistry will work well, you contact them, and then um, there's a conversation, and then they send you a link. <laughs> then you have to do all kinds of silly things, you know, like wink and get onto a chair, and mm. it's physical, it, mm. it's physical, it's fun, it's really fun, 37 questions. And then when you submit, the report goes to the accredited practitioner, and um, the accredited practitioner is, generally speaking, an existing professional within the, the empowerment industry, whether that is in terms of a psychologist or whether that is a um, coach, business coach, life, life coach. This is an add-on. This is not a standalone. 
This is another tool in those toolkits. And then when the report goes to the person, there's another session where you unpack it. And it's not a once-off unpacking. It's not. Because as the conversation continues and as the journey continues and you hit a snag, it's wonderful to pull out the profile or to redo because they change. They're not set in stone. The purpose of the human being is to change, to evolve. So your profile at one stage and your profile at a later stage, it can change. So it's extremely important when you do your assessment, like with all other self-assessment. There's, there's a huge snack with self-assessment. Because if you shift, if you think of different scenarios, the consistency of your response will not be the same because you in different scenarios would behave differently. So you need to think of the challenge when you complete the questionnaire because then it will sh show you how do you show up in that um, situation. Mm -hmm. It's very dynamic. Mm -hmm. Our accredited practitioners, we select them for their personality, no, for their, their care and their respect, but mostly for their intelligence. You need to have a very agile mind to work with the Mind Dynamics Profile. Yes, and it can all be done online. Ah, yeah. 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 Because I know some of your practitioners are on other continents. Yes. Yes. In Europe, in, in the US, in the UK, in Canada, Wales. Yeah. And the address of the Mind Dynamics website I've got here is www minddynamics.com and minddynamics is, is spelled M-I-N-D-Y-N-A-M-I-X and I will also attach the link to this podcast. Thank you. And now Melody, now we'd like to hear about our preferred sensory modality. How can we discover whether we are more visual, auditory or kinesthetic? There's a very simple test, okay, if you've got a piece of paper. Uh, yes, uh, let me suggest that if you're listening to the, this podcast, you could just pause it here and go and get a piece of paper. And a pen. And a pen. And come back and then we'll proceed. Okay, so. So when you've got your piece of paper, if you position it in a landscape, position in front of you, so it must be landscape, not portrait. So sideways. And it must be right in front of you. Okay. And then you take your pencil or your pen or whatever you've got, your writing instrument, and you do, you draw an infinity sign, a big infinity sign. Because if it's too small, it's very difficult to read. Okay? Yes. Like the, like an eight on its side. Yeah. Yeah. So huge. And you only do one. Okay. So you start in the middle, you can start anywhere, but it's, it's more common to start in the middle because it gives you a frame of reference and you loop to the left and then you loop to the right and then you use an instrument like a ruler or a something or you don't have to use something fixed like that and you draw a line through the crossing point from, that, left, to right. from left to right so it will be horizontal it will be um, parallel to the top and the bottom of the page okay and just mark the top of the page with a cross or put your, uh, write your name, just so we know where was the top of the page, because if you flip it, it's going to change completely. So we need to know what was the position of that page when you drew your infinity sign. Okay, now once you've drawn a line, you'll see and we'll attach a, a small article so they can see this visually. If that crossing point, 
Okay, so I need to say, some people may find they don't have a crossing point. They've got a crossing line. Just to keep this simple, um, do it again, and when you do it again, see if it won't give you one crossing point. Okay? It's very interesting. It's a neurological assessment. Because that tells you in which direction your eyes tend to turn more often. Okay, so the crossing point represents your nose level. So when you've drawn your horizontal line and your figure of eight, your infinity sign, is bigger above the line. Bigger above the line means um, above nose level. It means you, your eyes instinctively turn up more often, which activates the visual part of the brain. So if your eight is bigger above the line than wide or lower below the line. It means you're more visual. You need to see. You need to see to learn. You need to see to interact. You need to see. Okay? If you've, you've done your figure of eight and, and, and you look at the crossing point and it looks, it's flat. It's more like a Zara's mask, not our mask at the moment. So you'll see it, it's flat and wide. It shows that your eyes, remember, the um, crossing point represents your nose level. So your eyes naturally go from side to side in line with your nose towards your ears. So that shows oh. you're more auditory. Okay? So looking up, more visual. Looking sideways towards the ears, more auditory. And then looking down towards your heart and your hands. So if you look at that image that you drew, and it's, it's bigger below the line, it shows that your eyes turn more towards your heart and hands, which is more kinesthetic. Now that's emotional feeling, but it's also tactile feeling. And you use that very same thing. Now that was for, as an assessment, but you can also use that and that's where the mouse pad comes in. Now you can do that very same infinity sign. Looking at your, if you hold your thumb in front of your nose, nose is very important, and then your elbow bent, so it's not too far away from your eyes. And then you, you, you draw the infinity sign in the air, but very deliberately, as high as you can to the left. If your language, the language that you read reads from left to right, you go around the left eye first. If the language that you read moves from right to left, you go around the right eye first. Okay? So then you go up as high as you possibly can, as wide as you possibly can, as low as you possibly can. Cross over the bridge of the nose, and then you do the same to the opposite side. That's the mouse pad to move you beyond your preferred sensory modality. Some people will notice that when they draw this infinity sign, there isn't a bigger above, below, or to the side. It's perfect. <laughs> you know? It's completely and utterly balanced. That's a gift, like anything else. That gift is flexibility. So that person is already very flexible. Can be visual, can be auditory, and can be kinesthetic. The disadvantage is there's not one preferred modality. Okay, so how's that a disadvantage? Well, the, the more ingrooved or ingrained the pathways in the brain, the higher the skills level for something specific. So whatever can be limiting can also be your gift. Mm. 
You just need to be able to go beyond that. Mm. And the moves help with that. Mm. Thank you, Melody. And now, please, now your three early morning booster tips. I, I can't speak for anybody that's not a morning person. Because I don't know how not to be a morning person. Okay? So, I hate the sound of an alarm clock. So, I have this thing that before I go to sleep, I have to beat the alarm clock. Okay? <laughs> and every time I manage that, I won! So that's my first step. Pre-program your mind to beat the alarm clock so you don't have to wake up with that, that sound. You've done it yourself. Self-management is huge. The next thing is breathe. Open the windows. Breathe. Stand up. Get up. Get up. Lay down in your bed if you want to. But it's a good idea if you want energy. Get up, open the window. Stand in front of an open window. Open your arms as wide to the side as you possibly can while you inhale. Obviously, you're looking. You are listening. You're giving your eyes and your ears a natural workout. You're opening your arms and with that you open your heart. Because you're opening your arms and you're opening your heart to receive this day. And I also try and beat, I don't try, I beat sunrise as often as possible. I know, by quite a few hours. <laughs> no, but, but it's when you stand there and you look at sunrise about to happen, happening or still coming and you breathe in and you become one with nature and then you breathe out and you cross your arms. We call this the confidence booster, it's a mind move. But it's just a very physical, practical movement to open up, to rise and shine. Thank you, Melody. And now you have your fun question. I was thinking, since we live in Africa, which mind move do you think a giraffe would be good at? <laughs> well, it doesn't need a move to keep its head up, that's for sure. <laughs> Right, you've involved me out. Well, that's very interesting. As far as I'm aware, a giraffe moves homolaterally. What does that mean? Homolaterally means homo, same, same. So arm and leg on the same side of the body. Okay? So most other animals have a cross-lateral cross pattern. What does that mean? They move the one leg and the opposite arm mm. moves forward at the same time. So which mind move? Yeah, <laughs> you see, this sounds like a, I would definitely teach the giraffe to do a bilateral integrator, but that means the giraffe will have to lie down and I'll have to have help yes. because I'll grab the one and I'll probably grab the hind leg and somebody else will grab the opposite front leg, and we need to bring these two together. Um, Mariette, I think you can rather choose another animal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's fascinating because if you've got pets, mm. cats and dogs mm. love mind moves. Really? Rottweilers. We've always had a Rottweiler. I love them. And they love the antenna adjuster. When you rub their ears, you feel them melt against you. It's marvellous. Mm. Thank you, Melody, for all your expertise and for everything I've learned. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, listeners, for your attention. Yes. Time. I agree. Thank you for listening. 
And if you found this helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.